0: Hey guys, Prescala, your host Emma Grainy here uh, with another quick reminder to subscribe and give us a rating if you would be so kind. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you podcast. And as always, if you have any questions, comments or concerns, do shoot me a message. You can email me, egraney at postmedia.com or you can find me on Twitter at emma L. Um, Again though, we do have two episodes a week now, so make sure you subscribe so they come straight to your advice. Enjoy this week's episode. <laughs> Welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. It is Friday, October 2nd, 2018, and this is the What the Heck is Going On with the Olympics edition. With me today, I have my legislative reporting colleague, who I just looked at blankly for a brief second. There. You don't know me. <laughs> who are you and why are you in my studio? Claire Clancy, how are you, mate? Good. Haven't seen you in a few hours. I know. I <laughs> know. How was the ballet last night? It was lovely. I had such a nice time. That's nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, My boss, Sarah O'Donnell. How are you, Sarah?
1: I'm
2: wonderful. Thank you very much. Happy to be on the show again. Mm
0: -hmm. And Dan Barnes, a national amateur sports writer with Post Media. First time on the podcast.
3: Thanks for inviting me to your ultra cool studio. (laughs) No one's ever described it as that before. No
0: one ever in the history of anything has described it as ultra cool. Now, we have Dan on here because... As much as you love politics, right Dan?
3: I do. I'm a huge fan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Such unbridled enthusiasm. I love it. Uh, we are of course going to be talking about the Olympics because that is a massive story out of Calgary for the last, I didn't say this week, but for the last little while. Um, after that we will Dan will get to leave the room. (laughs)
3: You're going to boot me out. I know. that's all good.
0: Uh, We're going to talk about the first week of the fall legislature session. Um, So that's been a fun one. And we're going to talk briefly about the NDP convention, which was last weekend, which for me seems like it was yesterday or maybe a month ago. Time has just melded into one long river now. Time in a river, something, something. Something.
2: Sounds like a song. This sounds like a legislature reporter who's in the midst of session. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: In the end of a 12-day streak today. Good times. Let's start off with the Olympics. Okay. Now, as we know, anyone listening to this living in Alberta, heck, even if you don't live in Alberta, you probably heard that Calgary was thinking about making a bid on the 2026 20- 26 Winter Olympics. It's going interestingly, that's for sure. There's been ups, there's been downs. It's like a roller coaster of emotions in Calgary right now, right Dan?
3: I think it is, and I think it's probably split right about down the middle. Uh, the city commissioned a poll in August that would suggest that 53% of Calgarians will say yes. And the question's going to be, "I am in," or the answers that they will uh, submit at the November 13th plebiscite will be, I am in favour of hosting, or I am against hosting. There's no... Financial attachment, there's no any, none, I mean, that's it. You're either in it or you're out of it. And I think it's going to be a serious divide down the middle.
0: Absolutely. So we had some political kind of developments this week. I was at the NDP convention over the weekend where Calgary columnist, Calgary Herald columnist Don Braid broke a couple of stories. So we had basically what the feds came and said there was going to be some kind of 50-50 sharing agreement, right, Dan?
3: But that wasn't new. And I don't know why anybody was broadsided by it. Yeah. Everything I've read going back two years or at least a year uh, included the matching provision that the feds were only good for 50 percent of the public contribution and all of a sudden the province and the city are saying we're blindsided we're blindsided well mayor nenshi in calgary actually addressed the issue several times saying we're not going to be able to do that but at no point did the feds say well we're going to change the policy is the policy the hosting policy has been entrenched and that's the way it goes they they put in up to 50%. What they've done actually now is they've gone to 51
0: Ooh,
2: new, look at that.
3: Oh, wow. That extra 1%. But I'll tell you, it, it is some seriously creative accounting. It's not Enron, as uh, somebody suggested during the last <laughs> city council session. <laughs> oh, that's but beautiful. But it's creative.
0: <laughs> Joe Cece though, got up at the NDP convention. Well, you know, it was downstairs in a media scrum, and he seemed surprised about that 50-50 agreement. And uh, that was a surprise to me that he was surprised because... If they'd known about it for months, where did this all just suddenly develop from? You're just nodding your head going, exactly. They
3: were wishing it away. I'm pretty sure that's what they were doing. Yeah, that doesn't work, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it, it doesn't work at all. Now, what, what happened at the end, of course, is that everybody got together. They put their their uh, names on the on the letter. Um, so there is there's an agreement in principle. It's not an actual agreement. So once it goes to the plebiscite, they still have work to do. If if it passes the plebiscite and it's a simple majority, then they'll they still have to actually work on the multi party agreement before they even continue to work on the bid. So they are not very far down the road in this and it has been extremely divisive. I watched six hours of live feed <laughs> wow. six okay. hours of live feed from the city council. I don't know how you that's people dedication. Do this. <laughs> I don't know how you people do this because it drove me nuts and it was
0: it drives us nuts too dan
2: yeah, that's why yeah, we are sure. the way we
3: are mate i am not sure i could <laughs> i could uh, hang out at city hall for more than a day every couple of years
2: so anyway and yet you watch things like curling
3: for long periods of I time do. that i would just
2: you, i i, I, I really try hard to
3: care about agreed <laughs> have you ever
0: watched a cricket match
3: uh little snippets just because yeah not 6 hours worth No. and not 3 days worth of cricket. no no do they call that a testament because it tests your patience is that is I that have what have tea that is? breaks it's it's very Nice. very nice. Civilized. Civilized. Excellent. <laughs> mm. Sorry, I interrupted. A lovely little uh, segue. At any point, uh, where were we? Oh, yeah, six hours of coverage. Ugh. Anyway, they got it done. And in, in true Olympic fashion, the vote was actually 8-7 in favor of killing the bid. Yeah. But it wasn't enough. They needed a supermajority of two-thirds because it was the reconsideration of a previous council action. I love how that gets done.
2: What a time to be alive. Uh, isn't it? And, and now it's in the hands of tax of, of voters, right? Calgary voters mm-hmm. get to weigh in on this.
3: And that's probably the way it should have been, but I don't believe they have the a grasp on the numbers. And so far it's just been an economic question, right? They haven't gone all touchy-feely with the advertising, but that's coming. You recognize that. You know go that's there? coming. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that will be the bid co's uh push in the last two weeks for sure they're going to appeal to anybody old enough to remember 1988 <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and anybody who has a legacy baby in their uh, immediate circle people who have made use of the remaining Olympic facilities and it's legit there are tons of them right they are all over the Olympic teams in the last little while people who either grew up there or moved there because of the facilities And it's that it's a proven thing. When's the plebiscite again? November 13th. Oh, excellent. And this is it's going to be really interesting.
2: I, I, for all its flaws, I love Olympics. (laughs) And I know that there are so many reasons why I shouldn't. But when it comes right down to it, every time I'm watching the actual sporting events themselves, I fall in love with it all over again. And so there's a part of me, that, and I do remember being a junior high student in 1988 and how exciting. I was up in Fort McMurray, but I remember how exciting the Olympics were and some of my friends and my brother getting to go down with for school trips and getting to watch it. And I remember how exciting it was for Calgary. So there's a part of me that thinks Calgary needs... So, again, I'm I'm not Calgary, so please, Calgarians, don't get mad at me. But there's a part of me that wonders, how good would this be for Calgary? Would this be the morale booster that they need after a few years of such a really difficult economy? Like, would this give them, you know, something exciting? Or would everyone just be so resentful about it that this is what the money is being spent on, uh, fixing up these aging ski jump facilities and that sort of thing? Uh, I don't know, but... I, I've been struggling with that, and we've been struggling with that as an editorial board about, well, do we have a position on this? What is it? Where There's this big debate amongst ourselves. No editorial has been written yet because there's no consensus. So <laughs> Much like um, in Calgary. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, and, I mean, in Edmonton. I mean, and from our seat in Edmonton, would we potentially get any of the offshoots? They're talking about farming out a few of the events, right? They're right. not talking about it all being in Calgary, right. which is a bit of a surprise, I think, to some people.
3: But the ski jumping goes to Whistler because the – Calgary facilities are no longer usable and and the refurbishment would cost way too much money. So that goes to Whistler. I was in Whistler
0: for the Winter Olympics and the weather was so warm, remember, that everything right. was melting and a whole bunch of stuff well, just went horribly Well, I'm old wrong. enough
3: to have covered Calgary. I was there. I covered the skinny <laughs> ski events in Canmore, actually. Oh, okay. Um, but they had Chinooks blow in and... Yeah,
0: those Chinooks. And it was a
3: combination of too much wind for the ski jumpers because you don't want to see them suddenly veer off course. And the snow is disappearing. So it it happens everywhere, right? They deal with it. But there's also going, there, there will be no curling and there will be no hockey in Edmonton, according to the Calgary Bid Company.
0: Clancy, you're from, yeah, I want to so bring you into this because you're from Calgary right? So originally. I'm a
3: Calgarian. So it's your from. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: But what I was going to say was, I think what's really problematic about this is having a site where people don't have any numbers where they can actually make an yep. informed decision because um, even the estimated numbers in terms of job creation, like simple things like that, there's a lot of debate over whether or not those are actually realistic. And so how are you expected to make a decision, yes or no, I'm in or not, when you don't actually know what the economic impact would be on the city um and I think I would like I think Calgarians I'm assuming are very frustrated by that because I know my parents are and other people I know down
3: there so and between now and then the only information they will get is from the Calgary bid company right so right so it's as much as they like to tell you that's neutral information as one of the city councillors said it's not called lose the bid co it's called Bidco. So right, right. they're going to do what they have to do to win the bid. And to win the bid, they actually have to have a bid, so they have to first win the populace.
1: And because there's a history in the Olympics of kind of these overestimates with economic growth and development i think there's cause for concern right (laughs) a little fudge yeah i I also
2: think them saying suddenly that the estimated cost of security will go down are 20 percent less than they thought i think that is horribly unrealistic i think that we know that we live by
1: 2026 yeah, yeah that we
2: live in a day and age where security costs if anything will go up there's that's just practical realities there's the world is, is a kind of place where you can't
1: leave anything to chance.
0: Clancy, would you go to the Olympics if they were in Calgary? Um,
1: yeah, I guess so. I mean, I probably wouldn't spend a lot of money on it. To go. You, would,
3: <laughs> you would go to see Luge because it's lovely.
1: I do love, like, that's the thing. When Sarah was talking about the Olympics, like, I do love watching the Winter Olympics. And I watch them every couple of years, obviously. Sure. but. Or f- every four years. But, um, <laughs> but well, every two I, if you like both summer. Right, right. But I just, um, yeah, but honestly, I think the question isn't about whether or not you love the Olympics. The question is, what does this mean for Calgary as a city? And economically, is it going to put Calgary in a hole? Do and th- people don't know the answers to that.
0: And I don't know if anyone weighs, wants to weigh in on this, but right now with the NDP in power, the economy in the shitter, and basically everything horribly, horribly wrong in terms of the coffers in Alberta, do you think that the view would be different if the Conservative Party, if our Conservative Party was in power right now, as opposed to the NDP? Do you think that's factoring into this at all?
3: Because the NDP likes to spend our money? Is that your point?
0: Yeah. Well,
3: they just dropped. Well, they a have
0: a different fiscal approach, sure. don't they? Sure. They
3: just dropped a billion dollars on transit and Edmonton, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 there was seven hundred million from the province for the Olympics, and then a billion plus for the LRT. Is there an ele- election coming up? Maybe. What?
0: Oh, Not that I'm aware of. I haven't of, heard okay. of one. I haven't All heard right. of anything along those
2: lines. But to be fair, the West LRT <laughs> is an infrastructure project that does need to be funded.
0: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, and I, and
2: it's, it's better to do it in a way that doesn't incur debt. So, right. Yes. Well, what about
0: a new, brand new shiny luge track? That's an infrastructure Project of sorts. One that
2: every Albertan can use. <laughs> See, I, I, can, I can argue that there could be benefit from that. I can make that argument. And, yeah. and you asked, Claire, I would be down there at those Olympics in a heartbeat. But there are some really tough fiscal realities. And I think everyone around this table is right that Calgarians don't have probably enough information to... Uh, that was too not definitive. Calgarians don't have enough information to make an informed vote right now.
3: They got the information too late. It's yeah. out there now the numbers are reasonably hard numbers now and it's out there but it's way too late people have already started voting apparently 5000 ballots were cast by mail and then the deal changed
0: oh wow wow so
3: how on earth do you how do you accept those 5000 ballots because they were clearly issued without the full information.
1: I think what's interesting is that regardless of how the vote, regardless of what the outcome is, we're going to be in a situation where half the city is angry. And so going into mm-hmm. an Olympic bid with that um, atmosphere as well is really interesting. Maybe right. they'll come
0: around. Over
1: time,
3: right? I mean, we're eight years away. Right. So nothing yeah, can change kind of in thing. eight years, <laughs> 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 as nothing I've learned. Sure.
2: Is there potential that if 2026 doesn't work out that they
3: could then just look ahead to the next four years? Well, sure. They could lose the bid right? There are two other candidates. That's another good point
0: too. Yeah. Like
3: it's not a sure thing. No, no, no. It's not. Not by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah. Will they consider a bid for 2030 if they don't get the bid for 2026 and crank up the machinery again, just like that? I don't know because they've already spent something between 10 and 12 million dollars on this bid company right now. And it's barely underway.
0: Oh my God.
3: Oh, it's not cheap. On just an
1: offshoot, I think what's I think what's so interesting about the Winter Olympics is that also because of climate change, apparently there are only like a few cities in the world with adequate infrastructure and in the right climate and some most of those cities are in places like Canada where we could actually hold the Winter Olympics right. successfully. And Europe. in Europe. Yeah, yeah Australia
0: is not great with the Winter Olympics. We do have ski hills and that. Sure. But um yeah, I don't reckon we'd Ever put in a bid on the Winter Olympics?
3: Well, Asia is <laughs> the hotspot, even for Winter Olympics now. Yeah, Beijing is holding the 2022, right? I, and I was just in Pyeongchang in, in Korea, just. It feels like I was just there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was a, a while ago. And then there will be Tokyo for the Summer Olympics in 2020. They're, it's quite a run, and I don't know that the IOC wants to keep going back to that well. So they, I think they're quite happy to see a bid from Calgary and uh, from Europe.
0: Dan, thank you so much for joining us. And um, since you don't want to talk about politics, you may leave. Uh, thank you very much. So we are going to – we were going to get uh, someone else in, but because there's a snow popo- snowpocalypse in Edmonton right now, we're the only ones in the newsroom. We're not. That's a lie. But anyway, let's get talking here about the first week of session where
1: nothing happened and we weren't busy at all.
0: No, nothing happened, mm-hmm. right?
2: Yeah.
1: Not I only. I think thing. one morning I might have sent you guys
0: about twenty
2: emails, and <laughs> yeah. I was just like, "I'm so sorry for all the emails." But there was a lot going on, so there was a lot to discuss. Yes, there was. It was. So so we... has been
1: very busy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, first week of the fall session, um, we started off with the first bill. Clancy, you covered yeah. that.
1: So the first bill was a uh, long-awaited bill about um, post-secondary education. Basically, it uh, will create a cap on tuition tied to the consumer um, price index, and uh, that was kind of something we knew was coming down the pipes. Um, so, uh, Advanced Education Minister Marlon Schmidt had a news conference to kind of announce uh, post-secondary regulatory changes, and along with that, it includes this uh, tuition cap. And one thing people also were asking about was international students right, and how a huge it thing. right and how it affects them, and um, how the bill will affect them. Is that um, it's schools are going to be forced into telling students this is what your degree will cost for the next four years and that price can't change. So those were kind of the big changes from that bill. Um, But yeah, we had another, like we had lots of legislation come down this week.
0: The second one was, uh, that was about um, the doctors.
1: So uh, yeah, then the next day there was um, a big piece of legislation um, that was brought in by Health Minister Sarah Hoffman and uh, the the aim of the bill is to better protect patients who are sexually abused by doctors. What's interesting about, um, and other healthcare providers, what's interesting about the bill is that uh, it makes Alberta the second province to bring in legislation like this after Ontario. And what it means is that um, if a doctor or other healthcare provider, so like anyone um, under regulated professions like nurses, physiotherapists, acupuncturists, eventually will be covered by this as well. Um, if they're found guilty of uh, sexual abuse or sexual misconduct, they'll face license suspensions um, of varying degrees.
0: And this was became a problem, didn't it, Sarah? Because what, wasn't there a doctor who was like done for a sexual assault of a couple of patients?
2: Yeah, he ended
1: up he ended up being a, there was
2: two two convictions. There were more charges, but one was related to a patient. Patient. one was related to a uh, colleague that he worked with right. um, and uh, yes but he's and the it,
0: College of Physicians and Surgeons didn't have the ability to pull his license permanently Permanently, and it, that actually came up in question period a lot during the spring session and Health Minister Sarah Hoffman was very look we're gonna make some changes here we're gonna make some changes here and then eventually heyo they made some changes.
1: <laughs> and I think the college is, is um, happy about this legislation because they feel like it will give them teeth to be able to, um, yeah, basically to be able to uh, take away licenses and um, take the appropriate action.
2: On that one, I, I mean, I don't think it, thankfully it is not a massive, massive right. problem. Yep. There are a small number of cases that this relates to, but when it does become a problem, then yep. the, People have felt that the tools were not adequate. That is a sense that they have. Um, And then, Emma, you covered the third bill that came through uh, related to child
0: welfare and child intervention. Bill 22.
2: Yeah. Tell us about that one.
0: Uh, Yeah. So this actually makes some pretty big changes to the child intervention system. It it comes as a result of the all party child intervention panel, which was formed after after the death of Serenity, who was a little First Nations girl um, who died after being in care. Uh, She'd kind of been in lots of different places in the system. So the biggest thing out of then is basically if the First Nations now actually will get the chance to make legal representation. They will be informed as well if a kid from their band is up for a permanent guardianship order. Um, so they can make it and they can say to the court, "Look, we need we want this kid to be here," or at least they will even know about it. Um, and I spoke with the guy from the Sixties Scoop uh, Association, um, Adam North Pegan. He's great, and he said that this is a huge thing for them because when you look at back at historically what would happen is the authorities come in, take the kids and bugger off and they don't even know where they've gone or what's happened to them. That changes under this bill so they can have the knowledge and make a court um, appearance if they want to. But it also does change a lot of a lot of other stuff about the system. Um, for the first time it introduces four guiding principles, the first of which is safety. And what I didn't realise was that the Child Youth Family Enhancement Act it used to use the language of survival around wards of the state. So that's been changed to safety in most cases. So the word safety was only ever mentioned once in the previous act. So they've inserted the word safety and safe in like 17 times into the act now because as uh, Children's Services Minister Daniel Larrabee said – It's not just about kids surviving. It needs to be about more than that. I mean, they need to be safe. They need to not just that, but they need to thrive as well.
1: And the child intervention um, panel, a lot of the work that they did, and we both kind of covered um, – various meetings but a lot of the work they did was about this like creating um, kind of indigenous cultural connectedness for children when they're uh, taken away from families but I'm just wondering um, like did do you know if there's other legislation that's going to come in related to the child intervention work or was this like the big bill? this is
0: the first of three big changes that are going to come as a result of that work because the government um, in June released a strategic report that over the next four years they have to get certain changes done so this was number one then there'll be uh, next year will be the next lot, and then there'll be another one after that, which will approach things like funding for kinship care as opposed to what they get now, um, make it making it more equalized, that kind of thing. But that was not addressed at all under this bill.
2: One of the questions that I had for you, and I was hoping actually today we could talk about this more, was we know from reporting from previous journal colleagues and Paula Simons, the case of Serenity, I, I wasn't sure how would this change potentially what had happened to her because in her case according to her mother what her mother has told us is that she had been in a not-indigenous foster home and had been being cared for well the issues arose when she was moved actually into a kinship care placement and that is ultimately where the injuries and the 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 harm to her has come and we know that those kinship care providers uh, faced court action now Um, But so what would this do in a case like that? Because all of the other things that you're talking about sound excellent to me. But what does this do to protect a child
0: if they are in a kinship care situation or things like that? The minister was asked about that. And I actually didn't feel like she gave very good answers at all. I didn't feel I didn't feel like I walked away from that press conference going, oh, everything would have changed for Serenity. But what Daniel Larrabee did say was the emphasis now on safety more than ever before would have made a difference in her life. Um, One of the other changes that's interesting is that if a child is going to go under a permanent kind of care order, it has to be done now through the Child Youth Family Enhancement Act. It used to be that you could just to get a kid under the uh, Family Law Act. So there's this almost, it it was a loophole, caseworkers have called it the Family Law loophole for quite some time. And under the Family Law Act, if you're getting a kid under a permanent order, there's no need for a home inspection and there's no need for a cultural plan of any way, shape or form. So what this changes that you cannot do that anymore. Every child has to be, like if it's permanent, has to go through the Child Youth Family Enhancement Act. So it means that home studies will be done and a cultural plan, which is so important for First Nations kids, will be done as well. They have to be done. So that would have potentially made a bit of a change there. Um, But, I I mean, the minister basically just pointed to the safety. Finally, there's like an... A focus on safety that perhaps wasn't there before.
2: I have questions too. I mean, I, but the other bill about the post-secondary education bill—we'd been waiting for this for a very long Two time. Three years. do this. And
1: actually, that's and the yeah, where what what was the review?
2: Well, what? well, exactly. So we don't. You you've been waiting, right? You've been trying to find yeah, out. Yeah.
1: So this is. I think this is important to talk about with the post-secondary um, education bill. Is that this is the big piece of legislation that was brought out of the tuition review, which started in 2016. And... We don't have any details about exactly what that review looked like. Um, We know that there was a survey done and focus groups, but I've asked for that information from the government just to have more information about exactly what work was done in that two years Um, because it's not just about the tuition cap. Like, sure, that's what the bill is about, but the big questions are around things like um, what's our post-secondary funding model? Like, people were supposed to be looking at that in some fashion. And, yeah, I'm I'm very confused about why we haven't seen a report or um, we haven't had... Any information about that, I feel like I would, yeah, I'm waiting for answers to those in questions. In the next
2: decade, I'm going to have three children going through the post-secondary education system. So, of course, I am interested <laughs> in tuition being maintained at a reasonable level. But I have noticed that university presidents have been enthusiastic in their support about the part of the bill that involves... um Changes that made places like McEwen like equal or you know the the same governance structure as uh, the University of Alberta, University of Calgary. So there's great enthusiasm about that. So that's great, but they have been quite silent on the question about what is the actual impact of a tuition cap going to be on their institutions, because if you're going to cap the one source of funding, then we need some real answers about what about the, the granting revenue, which is a huge part of budgets. I think at a place like McEwen, it's 50 50 and and every institution's a little bit different in exactly
0: what that formula looks like remember though they're not going to go public about any of this the only reason we know how they felt about tuition freezers was because um advanced education reporter yuri grainy actually went to the committee meetings where they talked about being stoned to death by popcorn and talked about used really language like that but they're not going to say that publicly why would they it's 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 biting the hand that feeds
1: you and the and the uh when i've asked post-secondary institutions in the last few days about their reaction to the Bill and maybe I've asked if they have concerns over some of the regulatory changes. Um, the answer, I the answer I've g- gotten from various institutions has been, we're still reviewing the legislation.
0: Speaking of not getting answers, we haven't spoken to Jason Kenny, the uh, UCP leader, at all this week. No, He's... we haven't.
1: Yeah, haven't really had a chance to ask him questions about some issues that developed um, regarding a, a party member. Oh,
0: any issue at mm-hmm. all? In fact, Jason Kenny has not been made available to Edmonton media since. September twenty-four, apparently, uh, since he got back from India. So that's been an interesting week. Yesterday, it was like, "Come on, man! It's the end of the session. It's it's the f- end of the first week of session." Mm-hmm. And the guy who wants to be premier is literally running away from the media up the stairs in the legislature.
1: Yeah, it makes it's frustrating. I think that um, it's a lot of questions could be answered in a few minutes of scrumming with media outside at ins. So.
0: Yes, it doesn't take that long. Take three to four minutes. They've been putting up Jason Nixon, who is the House leader, instead. Um, But again, he's not the leader, so that was an interesting time yesterday. Because there
2: are some real questions that, I mean, yes, we have some questions for the Conservatives about a range of issues, but there are questions that they... they could and should be asking about things like this bill what is it going to do for accessibility if is capping tuition or affecting non-instructional fees could that potentially limit the number of places that universities and post-secondary institutions can offer there's all kinds of, of things that are th- worth talking
1: about the lrt announcement yesterday which i covered um yeah we talked about it earlier on the podcast that's something i was trying to ask jason Kenny about yesterday while he was walking away
0: but hopefully that will change next week that would be delightful. Uh, just very, very briefly, NDP had their convention over the weekend. I spent two whole days at that thing. What
2: was the, What was the highlight for you? I was watching it from far. I was in Vancouver. Going home on Sunday. <laughs> what? What was the? mood in the room, I mean, did you, were, were you surprised about, I mean, the, the sense that I got from your reporting and Keith's reporting is that there was some real optimism in that room. Um, I don't know necessarily that I would have expected that. Yeah, there was. Uh,
0: then again, I mean, you are talking about a whole bunch of people who are party faithful, who are coming in order to like be part of debates about the party of which they're a part. Yes, it felt optimistic, but I've yet to be to a, a convention that didn't feel optimistic and wasn't very rah, rah, rah in that sense. Um, it felt very earnest Uh, which I find disquieting. I'm I'm not sure about earnest people. They worry me. Um, (laughs) So they get up and basically debates over policies. They're not debates. I mean, you get someone at the con microphone who goes, hey, I'm really super into this idea. It seems great. I've just got this tiny little problem, maybe with one of the words. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Whereas At the UCP convention, you actually got people being like, this is terrible and don't do it and it's atrocious and actually close votes. We did not see a single close vote for any policy resolution that they made on the weekend. I think the closest one was about whether or not to call the Bighorn region a park or not. That was the closest. That was and weren't some thing. of the
1: policy resolutions things like um, pass the curriculum, or, or things like um, congratulate the work done by our oh, yeah. ministry on this or yeah, that? Yeah,
0: they wanted. Um, that was actually an emergency resolution that was very interesting to me. Um, that passed easily with cheers and such. Shocking, yeah, <laughs> shocking. Um, as was the theme of the weekend, uh, was congratulating the Labor Minister Christina Grey and all other MLAs who went to support the Canada Post strike. Workers uh, oh, on the picket line, so there they passed that and they cheered about it, and they were like, "Yeah, good job!" Because of course, uh, our columnist Keith Ryan, who is on, who is not here today, but he wrote a whole column about the optics of the Labor minister rocking up to a picket line.
2: What was the what was it about Notley's speech that
0: made it something that uh, some people described as the best of her career? Notley's speech was excellent. Um, it was funny. Uh, which uh, big points for that I get bored really easily so I love a good joke and she was introduced by Lou Arab her husband who did a really lovely kind of homage almost to it, to his wife and it was it was funny it was very personable as well it was I think it really rallied the NDP troops in a way that was in a very NDP fashion which is just like yay kind of it encapsulated the love in the room I think would be the way that I would describe that in a nutshell so at the UCP convention, we had Jason Kenny obviously, and we had Brad Wall as well. I would say that Notley's speech was closer to Brad Wall's speech, not in terms of what she was saying, but in terms of the vibe and how it was, how the room responded to it than Jason Kenny's, which was kind of interesting to me, just kind of watching them and the way that they are similar in that they capture people's, they capture human, humanity in a way that not all politicians can.
2: Interesting. Well, we'll I think we'll probably see more of that in coming months i think that's yeah. if that's her in campaign mode we'll see more of that
0: well i mean that's the way the polls are pointing i mean people the ucp has the lead in the polls absolutely but people like rachel notley more than they like jason kenny because of the humanity of her so you're probably right sarah that that's exactly what's going to do and that the ndp knows that that's a thing that they can potentially exploit in the lead up to the election Let's move over to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we've seen or listened to or read lately that we think you might also enjoy. Clancy, do you want to kick us off, mate?
1: I'm going to recommend Unprotected, which is a piece from ProPublica, um, known for their investigative reporting. And it's um, it's about rape at an American charity in Liberia. And the description of the of the multimedia piece, and it's really, the feature is just absolutely mind-blowing. It's amazing. Um It's Katie Myler established more than me to save some of the world's most vulnerable girls from sexual exploitation. Then some were raped, and that was only the beginning. And the series dives into everything that is wrong with um, certain organizations and international development and problems around the white savior complex and just... Mm -hmm. It's really. Imp- I think it's such an important read, um, and it's also there's embedded within the piece is also a it's like an hour long documentary. So I I would really recommend it. Yeah,
0: I'm going to recommend. I don't know if this is nepotism or not, but I'm going to recommend a piece from uh, Journal reporter Yuri Grainy. I also endorse that piece, so I'll, I think it's okay. <laughs> He's the bearded half of Australian team Grainy here here in the newsroom. <laughs> uh, basically. Yuri went out for days on the road with the RCMP in rural Alberta to get a handle on what exactly they're seeing when it comes to rural crime, what is and what is not working when it comes to the new rural crime strategy which has been brought into Alberta. Basically, the outcome... It's actually helping, and he goes into why it's helping. He also talks to a bunch of farmers and the RCMP. He went; he was out on the road for like a couple of days with them, kind of going to all these calls and just sitting around, you know, seeing what they're doing and going to the arrests and talking mm-hmm. to the people in the communities and that kind of thing. So it is an excellent read. Yeah, highly recommend he it. He was with the Eastern Definitely.
2: Eastern Alberta Rural District Crime Reduction Unit out in the St. Paul area. And yep. my favorite, you know, he came back, the, the bison farmer, one of them he talks about, he's yeah. like, one of the things that was well, stolen was a door. And like, <laughs> who steals a door? That that's like it was one of many things stolen. But that is the you know challenge that some people are facing. Yep. Um, Sarah? So I'm going to recommend something a bit a bit different. Um, I've I've felt lately like I needed a little bit of uh, fiction in my life to get away from the all the the nonfiction uh, and the, and the reality of the harsh harsh world. So I found a podcast that I really quite enjoyed, and it's called Bubble, and it's a, it's a comedy series by an Maximum Fun. I'll just read you the description because it does it. I I could ramble on about it for a long time, but welcome to Fairhaven, a literal bubble of corporate utopia set amid the wild goblin-infected brush. It's the first scripted comedy series from this group, and it tells a tale of, that is both contemporary and otherworldly. As a small band of monster killers struggles to make ends meet <laughs> and find love in a night in a nightmarish version of the gig economy.
1: So I want to listen to that right now. I know.
2: So it's it's really fun. If you're prudish, it might not be the podcast for you. It's a little edgy and sometimes I listen to it sometimes with my 14 year old, did not listen with, to it with the 11 year old and the seven year old in the car, <laughs> but I was laughing a lot. And there's some of the, the people doing the voices who are who you might recognize from other comedy shows. So awesome. That sounds awesome.
0: That sounds good. I love a little bit of removal from. That's why I listen
1: to My Dad Wrote a Porno on my way to work.
0: (laughs) Such a good podcast. (laughs) Such. Probably
2: also not for the prudish, judging
3: definitely from the, uh, not. Judging not. From the uh, title.
0: No, definitely not. Um, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Claire Clancy, Sarah O'Donnell, Dan Barnes, who has fled from the room when we started talking about politics. Uh, we'll be back again next week with more Alberta politics analysis on the Weekly Press Gallery. And, of course, you'll get our biweekly episode in which we talk to a politician or some such person in the Press Gallery interview. So, again, do subscribe so you get all of those episodes right to your device. I talked to Derek Filderbrand this week. It was super fun. Back again this time next week on the Press Gallery.